0: What's up, Asymmetry? What's going on, everybody? Fresh off the plane from Australia. And man, love it. Love that Australian bone size scene. And while we were there, the Jedi Lime joined me on this uh, occasion. We went to Canberra, spent some time in Sydney, and got to sit down with a number of really enjoyable people. You'll be hearing those podcasts, but we're going to start off with a bang. Tracy Francis of Marumbung Ceramics Studio in Melbourne is our most recent collaborator for Marai. in terms of the ceramics that we stock on an international level. We're super pumped to have her wares available at Mirai and to start using them this coming spring. But we got to sit down with Tracy, talk about her influences, her approach, um, the nuances of ceramics as they pertain to Australian culture, and just kind of get down and get to know Tracy on a level that we haven't had the opportunity to talk with her. Um, Super amazing, incredible person. Um, Her partner is also a part of the conversation. He too is incredible and a big part of the ceramic operation. And um, we thoroughly enjoyed it. And we hope you guys do too. Sit back. Have a listen, Tracy Francis, the next superstar on the international stage of Boneside Pottery. Enjoy. Super excited to get to sit down with you guys. Yes, yeah, this is fun.
1: It is fun. I think.
0: Our retreat, our retreat in in Canberra, Australia.
1: It's it's a nice spot, actually. It's um.
0: We read a we read a book on the spirit of this interior design ethos around this. Mm. Uh, home today, I believe believe it's the little book of Haiji. Yes,
1: Mm. yes, a Danish word, isn't it?
0: Is that how you say it?
1: I think so. I'm not sure, but I think that's, and it's, yeah, it relates. It's almost like a feng shui type of thing. Right? That's exactly,
0: we, we read it and it was like, oh, this is the, this is the, like, European equivalent to feng shui.
1: Yeah, feng shui, feng shui, yeah, 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 yeah. I think so.
0: Hmm. And you know about this. I do. Do you abide by it? Do you abide by Heigee? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, no. You no. I, see bought, a house. <laughs> I bought a no? house
1: with my property settlement from a divorce. I bought my house that had and it's had a horse living in it.
0: Had a horse living in it? Yes. It was where, a renovator's
1: delight and it had a horse living in it. Um sixteen hand type proper
0: horse. Uh uh-huh. you
1: know, like full blown horse. Yeah. And, not um, like a
0: not like a quarter horse, half horse. It's a wasn't a Shetland horse. pony. It was like you know, it looked over <laughs> your shoulder
1: as you <laughs> walked past, sort of thing. Um, my studio downstairs had the horse living in it. Uh-huh. That was his room. So he had a a room downstairs with full windows across the front, north facing. Beautiful spot. Ideal right, right. <laughs> oh, for a horse. For a horse, yeah. They say they always yes. have
2: the best property anyway, don't they?
1: Well, <laughs> yes. But he certainly had the best room in the house.
0: Hmm. Can we just go back to Shetland ponies for a minute? <laughs> we can, if you is like. That, is that something that happens in Australia too?
1: Shetland ponies are mean little bastards that bite.
0: I do oh, But are they in Australia? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yes. See, I would think Australians would have more common sense than to have Shetland ponies. Oh, they serve oh, absolutely no, no function, no, no yeah, function they're, they're, whatsoever. They're no nasty they're, little they're devils.
2: They're like donkeys, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But donkeys, donkeys are nice. Nothing,
0: but donkeys can. Donkeys have a things, purpose,
2: right? Like, yeah, yeah. donkeys are use. very nimble. Yeah. Well, I reckon an ass has got purpose, but I don't know about donkeys. <laughs> yeah, when I was on,
0: uh, when I was, when I was in Positano on the Amalfi Coast. Mm -hmm. through all of the, you know, they build those villages right into the rock face that kind of trickles down to the ocean. And they're constantly having to renovate those old places because it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Mm -hmm. So they keep Mm -hmm. them up, but they've been there for hundreds of years. Maybe longer. I don't really have the history on it. But uh, they use donkeys to haul all of the construction equipment and materials up Mm -hmm. through the... Because there's... I mean, you're talking thousands of steps. Yeah. yeah, Right? Like, not conducive to any sort of convenient, comfortable, or even <laughs> practical work. Yeah, of course. Donkeys yeah. get it done.
2: Mm. Well, that's very similar to our house. We live on a 45-degree angle. The house is in the middle. Uh-huh. We have access from the top and the bottom, but you want to take it into the house. You're going to lug it up it'll yeah, lug it down Yeah, it's an eight-meter drop so. from the
1: front of the block. It's eight meters to the back of the block.
2: No kidding. And
1: so when I'm doing ceramics conferences or conventions or, you know, bonsai sales, whatever, we've got to lug stuff either up to the car or down to the car.
0: That's really uh, interesting. Do you know who Sarah Rayner is? Yes, I do. Yeah. So we podcasted with Sarah Rayner and she used to work out of an old um, carriage house Mm -hmm. in, in Minnesota. And she would have to... Haul all the clay up to the top level of the carriage house, and then she'd make the pots and she'd dry them and she'd bring them all down to fire and then all back up to glaze and then all back down to fire again and mm-hmm. then all back up to inventory and then all back down yep. if she decided to ship them or take them to a show. Mm-hmm. And it was I like think fi- she's
3: 5,000 pounds uh, of clay or something. Yeah, some, up some yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I mean, God, just damn. like,
0: and you guys, you have the same similar thing. So you're mm. hauling all of your clay, all of your pots,
2: everything up and down up and the down. Down. Yep, yep, yep. We do. Oh. But not to that extent. That sounds just a little silly. Well, it's, yeah, it's it sort of it's yeah. a bit
1: more. Ours is more spread out. I mean, that mm. you know, most of it's contained in one spot in the house. But it's yeah. it's a, a matter of getting like your raw materials down from the car, yeah, um, to the studio, and then I do the work down there, run out and get them fired because I've got the the kiln next door. But then bring them back in. You know, you sort of have to take them outside. to to photograph them and stuff and then either down to the bottom of the block to put them in the car or up to the top of the block to put them in the car and all yeah. that sort of thing. So there's still that element, that physical element of moving stuff around.
2: Well, huh. well, with our place, we have the, the downstairs section is sort of a, a room laundry type thing, which is now Tracy's studio. But right beside that, there's a carport beside that where tracy has got all the kilns and there's two kilns and there, there's a drying cabinet and the rest of it. The block just drops away with just a bit of a carved out sort of a driveway. We either use a quad bike, four drive quad bike or a four wheel drive car mm-hmm. to to trailer load everything up up the top, the big heavy items. What's so, a four drive quad bug? Oh just a quad bike Like four a four drive. by
1: four yeah. um, truck? No, no, no. no, no just, just a like a, a four wheel a four wheel motorbike. A, a four wheel. wheeler. Yeah, quad. Okay, well,
2: yeah. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't have a boot. Not, it doesn't have a boot.
0: And for those that are curious, a boot is a trunk. <laughs> it's a trunk. Learn that today. <laughs> it's a trunk. We're learning too. We're growing, <laughs> expanding our vernacular. That's <laughs> the one. So, yeah. um, ha, well, first of all, Gary, do you do ceramics as well?
2: I do, funnily mm. enough, but I'm a Tyler. <laughs> so. Different sort of ceramics. Gotcha. No, no, I'm a Tyler Barton renovator. Uh huh. That type of thing. Got gotcha. you. Um, our house is half renovated; it's waiting for the rest of it to happen. So it'll happen when it needs <laughs> to. Isn't, it, isn't
3: that true with every tradesman?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Every yeah. tradesman's home's it, it half done. It works that way. A yeah. painter's yeah. house. Yeah, if you a should man see says it. he's
1: going to fix something, there's no need to remind him every six years or so. It'll get right. done eventually. Yeah, that's right. I know. <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs> And, ha- and and where where are you guys in Australia?
1: Mount Evelyn, at the foothills of the Dandenong Ranges, outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne.
0: Okay, mm. and and how long have you guys been at that facility?
1: That facility, um, about eleven years. Mm. Took seven years to get the tiles done in the kitchen, but we won't go there. Oh,
4: there <laughs> wow. wow. but
2: I've rebuilt and renovated the whole kitchen anyway. <laughs> I mean, this is this is going to turn into a family squabble very soon. <laughs> oh, no. yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> We're going to steer away from that. How about that? Thank you very no. much. You started
0: uh, it, Ryan. <laughs> how, how long have you been doing ceramics, Tracy?
1: Um, I've been doing ceramics about twenty-three years. I started about twenty-three years ago. But it was only ever hand building and it was never bonsai pots or anything like that. It was always, to start with, it was sculptural. Mm-hmm. Then um, I was doing domestic ware, So, you know, mugs, bowls, casserole dishes and stuff. And I did that for a long time. And then about five years ago, I started doing the bonsai pots.
0: And what got you into ceramics and sculpture initially? Why did you, why did you pick up the clay body?
1: I was um, actually doing art, fine art. Mm-hmm. and there was one term in that program where you actually got to go into the ceramics studio. It was just part of the curriculum. Mm. I hadn't done ceramics since before, um, like when I was in high school. And then I went back and I did this, and I was actually, as soon as I sat down at the pottery wheel, I thought, this is what I want to do. And um, so even after that one term, I went home and I said to my dad, oh, you know, look, I'd like to be a potter, and he sort of went, you know, you're not going to really make any money doing that. You know, you want to think of something that's going to be... Right. So I sort of, I didn't pursue that at the time. Um, but then it, it became something that I would do sort of just in the background for quite a long time. You know, I had a family and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was a while later, I went back to school and decided that, yeah, ceramics, I'm going to pursue that. So I actually went and did um, a ceramics course. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, sort of started selling domestic wear. And at the time, handmade stuff wasn't really very popular. Now it's had this whole resurgence and everybody wants handmade mugs right. and all that sort of thing. But at the time, it was, um, it was hard. It was hard to, to sell a coffee mug for more than like $8 Australian. I bet. And now, you know, you can sell them for $50, $60 Australian without batting an eyelid. But, you know, now I don't make them. I don't make any domestic wear at all. Yeah. I um, just solely make bonsai pots.
0: Now, did you, did you get a lot, any enjoyment or creative outlet from making domestic wear or was that more a utilitarian pursuit?
1: I enjoyed the actual making, the process. I just, I, I lo- love the magic that happens when you get on the potter's wheel. Um, and I really enjoyed that whole creative process of, of making something from a lump of, you know yeah sort of misshapen clay um something that can be used and held and, and and enjoyed every day yeah but um i i got to the point where i was making things more so because i wanted to make something and stockpiling them in boxes and then we started selling them because we had all these boxes of stuff sitting there you know like 500 coffee mugs sitting in boxes <laughs> all around the house and it's like crap we've got to do something with these so we started selling at markets and hmm. you know and that's really the only reason i started selling them was because we couldn't keep stockpiling all this yeah. stuff i got
4: a
3: question yeah. for you You said though that you were in a um hand building a lot mm. do you like the wheel or hand building more? what what is your i like
1: both now oh. i always feel really comfortable at the wheel i my ceramics teacher i remember her saying to me you are one of the most relaxed, most natural wheel throwers I've ever had come through wow. the course. I almost felt like, and somebody did say to me, it's almost like you've had a previous life where you've been ah, a potter. You bonded. It, it was just such a natural thing for me to sit down. The first thing, first time I ever got on the wheel, I made a bowl, like a you know, and it was it was a good bowl. They were really impressed. Um, so it's sort of something that is just.
3: It comes easy. It's natural
1: for me. Yeah. You know, um, hand building is not so natural for me, although since I've been doing the bonsai work, it has become more so. Yeah. Um, Because of some of the the designs that I get given and some of the pots that people want, you can't, you just can't make them on the wheel. Yeah. So um, I've, yeah, I've sort of expanded my hand building skills quite a lot and, you know, what I can make.
3: Cool. Hmm. Yeah
0: are you are you because of and i think you kind of touched on something interesting like you're being given a lot of really creative ideas of Mm. what these ceramics for bonsai and we'll come back to how you got into bonsai ceramics but while you're here i want to stay here because you're giving you're you're being challenged with a lot of interesting nuanced shapes and Mm -hmm. sizes and designs yes uh that I would imagine pull on both your creativity but also problem solving, trying to figure out how you get this done with this medium that is relatively fickle and mobile, right?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, size, I get a lot of people asking me for large pots, mm-hmm. um, 38, 40 inches long. Um, and that then becomes uh, like a um, an issue of managing the actual weight mm-hmm. you know when making bonsai pots and you've got to flip something over that weighs 25 kilos i don't know what that is in pounds yeah but that's 50 56, 50, pounds. 50 some 50 yeah. some pounds yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you know and and that's spread out over a large sort of area um and it's still it's still mobile it's still sort of floppy to a certain degree mm-hmm. so then when you've got to sort of try and flip that over you've got that weight you have to put it between two boards which adds to the weight again yep and then you've got to get people to help flip things over just so you can put feet on the bottom and and you know yeah. drill holes and all yep. that sort of stuff um so the logistics is sort of a a big issue um freight is always a big issue with things like you know huge pots but um things like some of the shapes that uh some of my engineering type clients have been asking for. Um, you know, never let an engineer design a bonsai pot. I've told uh, you know, multiple angles and all compound curves or compound miters all coming together.
2: Can I slide in here for a second? With this engineer design pot, we made a we made a, a template for it. The template had a little bit of damage on it, so Tracy tips it over and uses the other side. Subsequently, we made a left-hand pot rather than the right-hand pot. Yes, oh. I forgot to flip and the and slab make back uh-huh. again. Uh-huh. So,
1: yeah. yes, my customer got two pots mirror oh. image.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Which I mean, that was my fault. But you know, it's there is a lot of sort of thinking on the job. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to work out how to put three, four different miters together in in one sort of in one corner. You know, you've got two sort of angled. Um, surfaces on the top two on the bottom and then they all come in to meet in a a, in a a corner and they're all different miters and everything it's it's really hard to sort of
2: or compound miters
1: yeah to Mm -hmm. get that worked out um you know
2: Mm -hmm.
0: i mean what is that as far as like in the world of ceramics are there things that you do building bonsai containers that you had never experienced or are not typically confronted in the typical world of ceramics is there um, anything special about making bonsai pots?
1: More so, making sure that you've got the you know enough drainage and stuff like that. Right. Um. That would be the obvious one. Pots that have feet. And you don't necessarily put feet on things. Mm-hmm. And when you're firing to stoneware, which is like twelve hundred and ninety for me, uh cone nine between cone nine and cone ten. Um, I find that, you know, with the feet, then you've got the the problems of making sure that the bases don't sag, particularly if it's a big flat base. Right, right. Um, you've sort of got to sort of manage things in yep. the kiln so that they don't sag, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I have been told one of the things that people like about my pots is that the bases are as flat as I can get them and they can see a nice clean line underneath the pot between the feet, whereas some of other potters you know you can see when you look at their pots you can see that the the base has sagged a bit yeah the sag yeah yeah which aids drainage obviously but it's uh, aesthetically it's not it's ugly it's i don't know if it's ugly it just ugly to me it just you know you look at all the stuff that comes out of japan and it's beautifully flat underneath I, i know they've had a lot of time to perfect that but um i still think you know you've there is that that's a standard that i sort of strive for that it's got to sort of be yeah. it's got to look like it's supposed to be like that yeah. not that it's supposed to sort of have that sort of funny bulgy bit in, underneath
0: but what i mean i guess that's what i'm asking though because like what is that when when you whenever you think about japanese ceramics and these mm-hmm. perfect sort of forms and stuff i mean a lot of that's mold built Yep. So that that helps a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But I think beyond that, having the time to have perfected it is it something that is really unique to bonsai that makes the accomplishment of that very geometrical shape highly executed in as close to perfection of a mm-hmm. you know tolerance level as possible. I think when you refer to Western ceramics versus Japanese ceramics, this is the consistent conversation is that, well, the Japanese were doing it for a lot longer. So Mm. they've kind of figured all this out. And that's, that's why I asked that. just like, so then there is something unique about what's happening with bonsai containers for there to be secrets beyond, the ceramic community or skill sets beyond the ceramic community at large to actually Mm -hmm. be able to not get a saggy bottom and have true walls on a rectangle and Mm -hmm. uh, be able to manage all of the behavior of the clay in the way that it's going to move and manipulate Mm -hmm. itself, right? Because a lot of it comes down to the actual memory in the clay, does it not? That's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: clay does have memory. Um, Even when you're rolling out your clay slabs, you know you can't just sort of roll the clay out in one direction. You have to sort of roll it and roll it in the other direction, then flip it over and roll it in two different directions again, and sort of try and literally confuse the clay as much as possible. Because otherwise, if you've got the clay memory pulling on a side when you're actually firing that, mm-hmm. it, that's yeah, no, lime's. That's how him. you he get it knows it exactly <laughs> what I'm talking <laughs> that's, about. That's how you get it to fail.
0: Yeah. That's essentially, the,
3: yeah, and it yeah, looks like it, it looks sloppy. It doesn't look good. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. looks
1: very amateurish. If it if sides that are supposed to be straight are not um or if they if the base that's supposed to be flat is not it tends to just take the work down a level each Mm -hmm. each thing that's wrong with it that you can pinpoint just takes the quality down um
3: yeah rolling a slab is a skill of its own it is a skill of its own it's its own skill
1: there are potters who will tell you that they don't use a slab roller. They, they do the whole throwing the clay to get their slab and yeah. that sort of compacts all the particles and all that sort of stuff. I don't have that space. If I try and throw my slabs, you know, they're going to pull the, the concrete paint off the floor in the studio and stuff like that. So I have to use um, a slab roller. I like it because I get an even compression all the way across yeah. my slabs. Um, but it's, I guess it's, you know, it's how people are trained, how they've learnt to work um i just find that because i in my head i still have this whole pristine sort of aesthetic not necessarily with surfaces and all that sort of stuff but with shape form it has to it has to look right and if it sort of if it does have a sag in it to me it doesn't look right and then i'll put the hammer of death through it
0: <laughs> so looking right for you when you sort of when you hit it or get it or do it to a level that you're satisfied with means outside of the aesthetic you're striving to achieve, all of the pieces that you have control over are doing what you want them yeah, to be doing. Yeah, basically. definitely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, there's nothing worse than, you know, you like and we, like, Lyme and I were talking about this just before, you know, you spend hours doing something and then you put it in the kiln and, and something sags or an edge, you know, moves
4: mm-hmm.
1: so that it's obviously not where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, even then, I, you can put it out on a, on a you know, table to have the hammer put through it and someone will come past and go, oh, but I like it like that. you know? So there's no, real, there's no real 100% right. Yeah. It's just how you want it to be. True. I've had um, a situation where I, I'd made a pot for a customer and it cracked ever so slightly from the rim down. So I said to her, I'm going to make another one. But in the meantime, I had run out of glaze. And the raw materials had all changed, so every time I mixed up a new batch of glaze, I couldn't quite get the Mm colour that she was after. So she came round to have a look at the alternative pot that I had finally made for her, and she saw the old one still on the pile, and she said, that crack just adds character. I'd rather have the old one. So, you know, not... Notwithstanding the fact that I had just spent eight weeks doing glaze trials for her and trying to mix up a new batch of stuff, <laughs> That's she awful. took, ah, uh, she took the old one, and it's like, oh, really? You know. <laughs> so, I mean, my aesthetic, although I come from, the, when I first started doing ceramics, everything was white, porcelain, very, very Danish, mm-hmm. very, solid colors, solid colors, yeah. very clean, very crisp. Sharp lines, all that sort of stuff, no texture and all that. And um, now I find that texture's good, you know. You sort of slap your texture on. I use it like a trowel in the studio and slap texture on and all that sort of thing. And I use the grungiest, dirtiest clays possible. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them look as though they've got gravel mixed in with them. Whereas before, anything that was not porcelain and white, I just yeah. couldn't couldn't work with. Yeah. But I like the freedom now of the bonsai pots because the 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 clays can be so much more a part of the pot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the porcelain is just sort of like this blank blank canvas. Yep. Whereas the, t- the the clays in bonsai pots can actually be the feature almost.
0: And and uh. are you are you. S- Australia as a ceramics community, is the majority of the clay that you use native to Australia or is it imported or where do you get your clay bodies and how do you decide on the level of grog and the you know rusticness of it?
1: Most of the um, clay bodies are made in Australia. Mm-hmm. Most of the ones I use are made in Australia. Um, there are sort of three, four... Clay manufacturers in Australia, Um, but it is a fairly small market compared to in America. We, where I used to work, or still sort of work, um, we were importing from Laguna. You would know, Laguna clay. I I love their clay
3: body. Yeah, Yeah, I
1: do. um, Laguna B three brown and the Los Altos. Right now, yeah, the Los Altos are the ones that they're bringing in. Yeah, that's a nice one. Um, And they're also they're bringing over some of the. clays from England, there's a Scarva clay that they're using and a couple of porcelains and stuff. But most of the clays are Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they have they have really chunky grog. I've sent um, messages to people I've seen, American potters on Instagram, saying, gee, that's a nice smooth clay. And they say, smooth? This is the grogiest one I use. Mm. And it's nothing like what our groggy clays are. Um, they are so much more textured and rough than anything i've seen from the states
0: yeah and i mean i guess this kind of like takes us into that sort of realm of like, I can't help when I look at your ceramics, and I, I can't help but see Australia. Mm. You know, like the color of the clay, the 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 grogginess of the clay, the way it's handled, the shapes, the textures that you do choose to put on, the accents of the small speckles of color, even mm-hmm. in a uh, you know what would be largely an unglazed container. Yep, feels very Aboriginal to me in terms mm-hmm. of like that touch point of connection, and. Is that something that you're aware of, no, or is not that at all. just in? Inha- it's just sort of
1: it happens.
0: Part of it, yeah. It just yeah, happens. Very organic.
1: The a lot of the speckles are part of the clay body, so I mean you can't get away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, anything else is just it just happens. It's not something that I'm, you know, sort of thinking of. Oh, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. Um, occasionally, you'll think. Look, I'm going to experiment with a bit of different texture, or mm-hmm. you know, um, a different tool on the outside of a pot. But most of it, I think, is just something that happens.
0: And so, where do you get your inspiration for the shapes that you pursue? Are you continuing to evolve and expand what you're making and how you're making it? Like, mm-hmm. where does all of that come from?
1: It most of the most of the shapes start from perhaps from commissions. I will get a lot of people, you know, boutique bonsai, for example, Mm -hmm. saying I want something that looks like this um, and we'll sort of, you know, work together on a pot. But then by the same time I'm doing that, I'm actually sort of thinking, well, I can translate that into – it might be a texture, it might be a colour or a finish, but I can translate that to something else that might be a completely different shape or a completely different form – um, and then sometimes I just sort of start mucking around and thinking, oh, you know, walking through the garden or when I take the dog out for a walk, I'll see a bit of bark on the ground. And I think, oh, you know, if Ooh, that was ceramic, that'd that work well. Um, so yeah, a lot of them just sort of, sometimes it's, uh, it's a case of you're making something and it collapses and you think, oh shit, that looks
4: pretty good. You yeah. Know? Right. So Ope, yeah.
0: Open to happy. Fortuitous intervention. Yes, yeah. Go, yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> do you have or have you spent much time looking at the traditional bonsai ceramic forms and stuff?
1: I've tried. hmm And, um, yes, I have to a certain degree. But with the uh, – the, perhaps the bulk of my pots are actually going to people who are um, – in Australia, mm-hmm. and a, not a, not a lot of them follow the traditional Japanese sure way of doing things. So I tend to sort of not try and slavishly put like make something that the the Japanese have made because sure. they just do it so well. Mm-hmm. So you know we've got different clay, we've got I've got different glazes. I'm not able to put them in a kiln with rice husks and stuff like that. So I just sort of I do it you know i'll let them influence me but not slavishly so
0: mm. yeah it, i i find that to be super interesting with with bone size ceramicists cuz in in to one degree we're kind of limited right like a rectangle is a rectangle mm mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there's not an Australian rectangle and a Japanese rectangle. They're both rectangles, right? Yep, definitely. And ovals and squares and rounds and Mm -hmm. and those form like this significant backbone of of the bone size ceramic aesthetic. But inside of that, obviously, there's all of the different ways that you can communicate. Mm. N- n- it not being a Japanese ceramic body right? yep. stylistically the colors the handling mm-hmm. the the clays the glazes the textures all of that stuff but it is interesting to see how how your work carries that without any sort of intentionality behind like I'm going to make an Australian rectangle it just yeah. inherently is it just something happens. different and yeah. that's I think that is the most beautiful aspect of this art form mm. Uh, mm. across all of the disciplines you have whether you call it woodwork or whether you just call it a contextual sort of presentation piece to house the tree in the container yep. or the container that houses the tree or the physical tree as material itself, mm-hmm. all of those things can only be what they are in that location with that person yeah, yeah. creating them with all of those factors being input,
1: mm-hmm. right? I, may, I might not have... um the intention to make things really Australian looking, but quite often my customers mm-hmm. have an intention. They've got a, a native tree and the last thing they want to do is style it in the way that a European or Japanese tree might be done. So they've right. actually got a, a very definite idea of what they want. And then they'll, they'll give me a description of their idea and that will then affect the way my thinking happens as far as the pot's concerned. Um, I do – when I'm doing commissions, quite often I will just send progress photos to the customers and they'll say, oh, yeah, like, you know, can you cut a bit off there or can you poke a hole in there or whatever. Um, and that sort of – that works quite well. Um, <laughs> we collaborate that way, you know, and, and, and it seems to work. But um, quite often it will be that their their ideas are heavily influencing the way the pot eventually comes out. Very cool. Out. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So you're communicating with them through photo as you're building the container.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Lots of back and yes, forth communication.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's cool. So and I've, I've been very lucky too in that I've got people like boutique bonsai and tree makers, Yarra Valley Bonsai Society people. Um, there's the uh, a number of people from the Waverley Bonsai Society. I've got um, bonsai sensation uh, gentlemen down there. A number of people who have been really instrumental in giving me a lot of feedback and saying this doesn't work or you know you want to sort of mm-hmm. improve this or make these holes bigger or you know that that all sort of it doesn't necessarily happen immediately but it all goes into the the mix and right. you can sort of sort of it, you can see it coming out later on it's
0: marinates a little bit yeah and then yeah.
1: all of a sudden you know the drain holes are starting to be a bit bigger or Coming down, I had one gentleman say to me, "I'll make the drain holes at least five centimeters." Um, what's that? Two inches? And then everybody's saying, "Oh my God, that's too big. My tree's <laughs> going to fall through that." So then I bought them back again, and yeah. you sort of you end up, you know, yeah, picking and choosing your advice too. I think.
2: Can I add something there? You're talking about <clears throat> where she gets her her uh, ideas from. I think it's an ingrained fundamental thing. If you know the Australian bush and the Australian rock outcrops, mountains, that sort of thing, yeah, it's in the back of your mind already, and you, you're just creating something that that you you know of, you understand. But also, as you said before, about the sharpness, you can do a rough, very rough textured pot, but it's still the, the sharpness comes out in the underside of the uh, of the pot with mm-hmm. the uh, bottom rims, feet, that sort of thing. So that's crystal clear, sharp. But still gets that rustic tone on the mm-hmm. on the top as well. So yeah, she does quite well.
0: And what an interesting contrast to what sounded like almost not a hyper modern, but a modern form of homeware ceramics that you were doing prior, and now really diving into the organic form mm-hmm. and just sort of the the I would imagine that there's actually a significant amount of additional skill and, and experience that you have dealing in the modern form because the modern form in bonsai is also an aesthetic that's quite can be quite attractive mm, right mm. it doesn't always have to be this massively organic thing
4: no that's right right yeah.
0: and and to, to have the the quiver of arrows that allows you to be able to select and pull on those different i would imagine that is quite big uh or important to your ceramic work to be able to have a very broad range of what you can do.
1: Yeah, I, I don't like to stick with just, you know, organic sort of lumpy textures and and, and forms. Um, I really enjoy doing some very slick, you know, um, exacting pieces as well. Yeah. I have got um, orders for people who want some really modern, you know, smooth, shiny, sleek sort of pots, and I really enjoy doing those. Um, but having come from that background, that's sort of to me that's the easy bit. I mm. find it harder to do rustic gotcha. and organic because I fiddle once. Once it's at a point, I think, oh, I'll just tweak that, or I'll yeah. just smooth that <laughs> off, and I have to stop myself and put it away and walk away. Otherwise, it'll end up being it'll start off as a nice rustic organic thing and end up being all smooth and sleeky. Yeah, and right, so right, I have to right. sort of <laughs> stop.
0: You pull, yeah. pull it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's. <laughs> That's really, really fascinating, and and I mean, one of the things that I hear about Australian bonsai—it sounds to me like Australian bonsai—and from everything that I can take in in terms of the information and experiences I've had in Australia, is that the bonsai community is growing and at and sort of hitting mm. a a very significant moment of maturation, potentially expansion. Mm. Having Australian ceramicists creating ceramics that are representative of the environment or at least pulling cues from the environment, and it makes a big aesthetic difference with particularly using them with natives. Mm. Mm. But I mean, even in terms of it's it's really wonderful to hear that you're as a a native Australian ceramicist doing some of this really groundbreaking organic, I would say more organic oriented ceramic representing the landscape of australia um that you're so heavily supported because it does seem like any bonsai culture that goes through a state of evolution that australia is experiencing right now and i, I think the united states is you know sort of in the same throes of things just mm-hmm. at different points in the in the journey like there is a lot of resistance there, or there can be resistance, or oh, there yeah. can be a lot of controversy to that new direction. Big time that things are being taken. And do you do you feel that uh, resistance? When I at all? started,
1: when I started, I think there was more so. Uh huh. Um, and I was getting a lot of feedback that you know, oh, it's it's a bit rough or it's, it you know, it's too deep. You know, the the side of your pot's too deep. Um, it's you know, Japanese. You have to have this. The golden, the golden rule of, you know, right. whatever it is, the Golden one to three thirds, or yeah. whatever it is, yet. um. And I did have a bit of that to start with. But then I had more and more people saying, yeah, but we're in Australia, you know. We Thank
3: goodness. <laughs> it's
1: it's too hot to have a really shallow pot where I live. So I want my pot to be deeper. I don't care if it's the same depth as a casserole dish, mm-hmm. you know. If it, it means that I don't have to water it six times a day or get the neighbours to water because I'm at work, then it's gonna work for me and it works for my tree. Mm-hmm. So there is there's a bit of a now I think there's a bit of um a rebellion happening, you know? <laughs> we don't necessarily <laughs> want everything to look like where we've been dictated to yeah. by um people who have got like longer, harsher winters who don't need to water six times a day during summer and stuff like that. So and being Australian too, I think we're all a bit sort of, you know, we're rebels. We're yeah, all you, rebels in some form.
0: Australians are definitely not cut to follow the same road every we're, other yeah. boneside community is cut to and follow. I, think, I am very I've become very aware of this. It isn't gonna work <laughs> that way for you guys. Awesome. It doesn't. And I yeah. think um, I love it. <laughs> there's Bush. a
1: lot of confidence now in um in Australia with the way people are approaching because we've got our own material. Yep. So um I'm still a raw novice as far as having my own trees Mm -hmm. and i would say i'm still pretty much a novice when it comes to doing some of the pots too because i'm still learning i you know it was it's a whole new thing for me this bonsai thing um i've only been doing bonsai pots for about four and a half years and i find that there's still stuff that i didn't know i Mm -hmm. you know i'm still learning you know how how things work and i think a lot of people in australia are sort of They're making it up as they go along. And and you know, we because our material is so different, a lot of what is considered the right way of doing things just doesn't work for us. Sure. So
0: Or in its application, like the the aesthetic somehow it's like, oh it just loses that something didn't come along where it was supposed to. Mm Yeah, like we lost our track trail here Yeah,
1: it doesn't look like an australian tree it looks like an australian tree that's trying to be a japanese tree or a european tree yeah and it it just doesn't work
0: yeah yeah it's even fascinating when you look at um what the australian community calls exotics exotics being uh, uh, which i think is such a great term exotics for Mm -hmm. imported or non-native species just like the the japanese black pines and stuff there is a non japanese aesthetic to the pines that are have have been cultivated in australia mm-hmm. like there's mm. a there's a non japanese aesthetic to any tree that's been cultivated in australia regardless of what the template of it was yep yep you know and i mean and i that i think that's really beautiful to mm. think like okay we're going to do this Japanese did this. We've got this black pine with this check, got that box checked. Like we've got mm-hmm. the right tree. We've got the, you know, kind of the idea of the pictures. We just, it just somehow doesn't turn out the same. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that undeniable influence of that environment and culture and people. It's the, very prevalent. Yeah I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's prevalent yeah. in every culture and it's all of a sudden. You know when you look at the the this expansive mm-hmm. body of work that i think non- japanese bonsai ceramicists are doing right now it is really interesting culture by culture to see the individual's personality and in their work and the culture uh culture's influence in their work and the environment's influence in their work mm-hmm. it's creating such a wonderful palette to be able to represent and explore and play with and that's mm-hmm. really why I was so uh, excited to bring your work to Mirai because it's like, well, this is something that we have not had the ability to tap into. Yeah. Yeah. But the Australian environment as it's unique to Australia is not necessarily something that I can identify with, but the Mediterranean environment, which I think is a very paramount uh, unifying concept between California and Australia mm-hmm. and South Africa and the Mediterranean region of Europe Um And I have never been to the central coast of Chile, so I don't know. But apparently that's also a very Mediterranean uh, region of the world. Uh, There is some identity that I think crosses over. Some aesthetics, some of the feel, et cetera. And and I've always felt like maybe and potentially California natives aren't necessarily represented Mm -hmm. with. You haven't had, when you look at like a Ron Lang Mm -hmm. or you look at a Sarah Rayner or you look at um, some of the other prominent north american bone bonsai ceramicists out there you've never had somebody really move outside of or away from the japanese aesthetic in the mediterranean regions of california
1: yeah yeah and so
0: this when i saw your work i was like this is something that has been missing you this whole it, my time. God, this
1: woman doesn't know what she's doing <laughs> no not a,
0: not a, quite the opposite i was <laughs> like oh wow very rich very and and one thing that i noticed about your your ceramics and this comes from hue you know, Hugh, having spent three months at, months at Mirai, one day we're standing on the deck, kind of looking over the, the Columbia River Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, Man, the light sure is blue here. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Never once thought about that in my life. But yes, I have noticed it. I have felt yeah. it. I have sensed it. It is real. And he said, In Australia, the, the light is very orange. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very red, red spectrum yeah. light. And when I look at your pots, I almost feel like I can see the spectrum mm-hmm. th- that is impacting the environment in your clays and the way that they fire and the, yep, the color. Yep. It's just even to that subtle degree, when you start looking at all of the nuances, there are so many things to take from mm-hmm. the work. So it's it's super, uh, it's really, really amazing to get to see your rapid rise in size <laughs> ceramics.
1: <laughs> I find it, it's a bit sort of mind-blowing. Mm. Um, I'm still having – I still have sort of like an internal dialogue when, you know, people ask me to make pots. It's I have trouble deciphering exactly what they want, you know, um, and I guess that's only going to come with experience. Yeah. Um, I still have people like, – there was one lady who said to me, you know, she wants a, a masculine pot, um, not – Really, very feminine edges, but she wants androgynous feet. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I'll just make a pot and give it to I her. I hope it works. <laughs> and she was thrilled with it. But I'm thinking, okay, masculine fem androgynous feet. You know, mm. it's like there seems to be a lot of people who get all these. They read the the bonsai books. They've watched the programs. They've got the magazines. They get all these terms and stuff, and they throw them around at me. Mm-hmm. And and you know they sort of have a fair idea what they mean, mm-hmm. but in the end, I just have to feel my way. And I think because I'm still because I'm still learning how to do things, and because I'm still sort of finding out what some of these terms actually—I mean, like a feminine pot doesn't necessarily mean it's all curvy. It can just be subtle. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it's still I don't know, it still um surprises me that people are really so positive about some of the pots that I do because I'm I'm still <laughs> learning, I'm still trying to find
0: it's su- the way. You're essentially saying it's surprising they like your stuff.
1: Well, it does surprise me sometimes.
0: <laughs>
2: I've, I've and the way quite- they
1: get so excited about things, it's like, oh really? You
2: know, she doesn't understand how clever she is. Yeah, right. Personally, no, that, she could can't good, that. that could be a good thing.
0: Yeah. If she starts understanding how clever she is, your <laughs> life might not be as good. She's still here. She's still here. She's still listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very uh, cool. And it's cool. It's really fun to get to engage. I don't know how you feel, Lime, about coming to Australia and now getting to see High in Australia. Um, Your thoughts on the Boneside community I do, and the, what's cul- going on. the cultural yeah.
3: differences have been apparent. I have a, a lot of connection. I grew up a half my life in Southern California as a kid, and there's a lot of connection there. Mm. So I have a, the, a lot of some of the trees are driving around. I feel, I'm like, oh man, am I in Southern California? Oh, wait, no, we're not in the concrete jungle. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're okay. And uh, the color differences, mm. yeah, nuances, how it's going about, I really. Yeah, I'm being I'm I'm overwhelmed a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to take it all in and process it as I'm going, but it's gonna take a while to process. Oh yeah, yeah. How, yeah. how you guys are very different, but we have a um, a connection with you at that rebellious side. Mm. You know, the wild west American boys and the yep yep the, the down under Australians. Yep, I yep. feel like we have this like brotherhood together. So of being have got being the, wild.
2: It's all about the bloody British, was it? Yeah, we just want to <laughs>
3: beat them up, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs>
0: We did a good job, <laughs> <laughs> but ap- ap- apparently, uh, what is what, what was the discussion about still being part of the oh, Commonwealth? Co- yeah, Australia, still, is still part of the, part com- of the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I, that was really interesting.
4: Yeah, that was a shock. I didn't know yeah,
0: that. That was interesting.
2: You didn't get, you didn't get my, did, a- did, was I not supposed to say that? No, 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 no you're fine. No, oh. no, no, no. Fire away. I mean, it doesn't matter. We're, we're <laughs> right, bulletproof. Right. It doesn't yeah, matter. Right. Right. I had <laughs> yeah. no idea that there yeah, was still a thought, Commonwealth, honestly. Yeah. That's how ignorant
0: I am about that.
3: I thought you gave the no. prince a boot like we No, did. <laughs> no. No, there was there
1: was talk about uh, all that sort of stuff for a while They've there. They
2: tried it and they couldn't. Bring they couldn't, it not But the, yeah. the problem is, you know, it, especially this time, this is political, but especially this time of, of our, our lives, you can't afford to be losing too many friends. <laughs> you want it, you, you really don't want to, want to be
0: keep... making enemies right now. No, that that sounds, don't, lose, don't lose your like friends. A, a,
2: a poor choice. <laughs> That's
0: it. Yes, in yeah, The current definitely. climate of things. Mm, yes.
3: mm. The, the the wildness and the vastness of your country, the interior. Yeah, you know, yep. Tell me how empty it is. Like we have that vastness also. Mm-hmm. So I think that also what brings kind of the. Yeah, our, our, we have a similarity in our culture. I think that so. I, yes, I've found. Yes, that I like. I,
0: yeah, and it also seems like. It seems like there is a little bit of a, not not necessarily to the degree that we see in the United States, but there's a little bit of a mutt mentality in Australia as well because okay. yep. it is a little bit of a melting pot, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the coastal coastal regions where the big city, cities are and cultural hubs are and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But really trying to sort of tease out that integration of, of a a longstanding Aboriginal history Mm -hmm. with all of the other ethnicities that have, you know, now found themselves in this space. I mean, this is a, the Native American aesthetics and sort of that history in North America and some of those finding their way into the ceramic community. You know, I talked about you having hints of what, at least to me, from my ignorant perspective of the Aboriginal, uh, sort of, points or details or things that occasionally come out that it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I wonder if Tracy did that intentionally, or I wonder if that just happened.
1: No, you certainly don't do it intentionally. Um, it's, considered very bad form to sort of you know try and, and make aboriginal art uh, when appro- you're, appropriate yeah yeah, when, yeah. You're, when you're not an indigenous person sure um so i would never consider doing that but um, that's coming
0: out of the material then
1: it's it's purely the clay body that i use has ground up volcanic rock in it called mm. trachyte and when you fire to stoneware it comes out And it comes out through, it burns out through your glazes and stuff. So it shows, so you get that speckled effect. It's got nothing to do with me. Wow. Are are you getting that volcanic
3: material here uh, in Australia? Do you have to source it and bring it in?
1: Don't know. I don't know. Um, All the clays, I use a a lot of clays that are made up in Ipswich in Queensland. And I use a lot of clays that are made in um, New South Wales and from Victoria.
3: Because we're very volcanic so, where we live. Yeah. We're yeah. covered in volcanic. I mean, Mount St. Helens just erupted what mm-hmm. 30 years ago or so, 40 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah, I don't know where the trachyte comes from. I would be surprised if it wasn't an Australian um, ingredient. But the clay comes. It's already got, you know, ground up grog and stuff like that in yeah. it. And it's got the trachyte in it. So, wow. huh. um, it, yeah, the trachyte just sort of melts into that speckle. Mm. So, um, I use a lot of that. And then any of my scraps, I tend to sort of put into a big bucket and, and recycle them mm-hmm. all and, and re-blend them. So the trachyte tends to go through anything pretty much that I'm gotcha. blending myself. So yep. a lot of the clay bodies will end up with the speckles in them.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I, I hope I, I hope I didn't at all like offend you or hit like an alarm button of like you're doing aboriginal things you You know not at all but but it is it is interesting to see those touches peek through and Mm. and think about some of the similarities that we share and how could you not be influenced
3: by it you know you live. yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah.
1: it's yeah yeah, even if you tried to physically not be influenced it's just you see it all the time it's going to get like subconsciously it will influence you anyway yeah. yeah
4: yeah
0: Yeah, and I think the one of the big influences that I see in your work too is there's really not a limitation.
2: Like what's I a, don't what's see limitations. I, d- I don't see that's well, what I'm saying. See, this, this
0: actually, to me, feels very Australian as well. Yeah, you yeah, know, It goes back to the Fosters can and the Great White being a <laughs> guppy, right? Yeah, Australian, yeah, of for course. Yeah, guppy.
1: Look, you can do just about anything. I mean. The only limitation I would find now is the size of a kiln. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I mean, I've got somebody who can fire up to about 40-inch long for me. Um, other than that, I have to go and make new friends. Uh, but, um, you know, yeah, that's the only limitation is the physical firing limitation
0: but if you had to go make new friends you'd go make new friends i would go make new friends i mean like this is a different mentality in my mind than somebody that says my kill only holds 30 inches so i don't i'm not going to entertain a conversation with you you know beyond that and i think that i think that is a very common way Mm. for, for a lot of people to work and think and i get it and there's a convenience level to that and and also you know how how far beyond sort of this bubble that we have formed do we want to go and experiment mm-hmm. and explore and risk and sacrifice and stuff, but you're willing to go there. yeah. You're I, totally willing to go there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the pot that I've just made that um, I showed you photos of, you know, that's 38 inches long. And I'm saying inches because you guys use inches. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I'm in. appreciative of that, just so you <laughs> know. <laughs> um, it's it's over a trick. meter long. It's, <laughs> it's Internally, I think it's about a meter long plus the you know thickness of the walls and stuff but um it's when i took that commission on i took it on and said yeah yeah i'd love to make it yeah not a problem it was only after i saw the measurement i thought oh <laughs> crap i can't fire that <laughs> so i just i rang around uh-huh. and you know i've got a, a couple of people who are amazing and who will fire things for me cool um and it just it just sort of works so if if somebody came in and said you know i need you to make a pot that is this much longer again if i can get it fired and if i can physically make the thing and flip it over and manhandle it around and then actually get it transported to wherever the kiln is without any mm-hmm. major problems and we don't lose it you know in the ma- in the making then yeah i'll have a go mm. but it's it it comes down to physical limitations and 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 kiln really i mean physical limitations as far as actually moving the thing
3: yeah, that's you know. hard. And, and and it is call hard my neighbors. It's, <laughs>
0: when it
1: when it's heavy, when it's long, when it's soft.
3: Yeah. Gary,
0: is this where you come in? That's my. This is when you rock and roll. This is is your bread and butter. It's my buff body. Uh (laughs) Uh
3: He's my pop mule. So, so
0: technically, you could be saying the kitchen would be tiled, (laughs) but Uh, you continue to ask me to move these pots around. I'm so busy doing the ceramic stuff. That's right. (laughs) I see see where you're at. All right. This
1: podcast is over.
4: Yeah.
0: (laughs) the the uh so where where is the value in ceramics for you now like at this point you know we never talked about how you started making bonsai Mm -hmm. pots and i would like to touch on that but um solely making bonsai pots now are you happy with that do you miss any of the of the other work you used to do and not doing it and before you go into it because it'll all tie together i think Uh um yeah, you know, what, what part of the process do you find the most satisfaction in now?
1: Okay. I, the biggest thing for me is the creative endeavor. I just I need to be making things. I need to be, to be doing that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I'm not happy if I'm not being creative, if I'm not doing something, whether it's painting or drawing or my ceramics. Um, as far as what do I miss, I miss the interaction with people. Like now that I'm in my studio, I'm in a room under the house by myself. My pot mule comes in occasionally to help flip things and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But other than that, I, um, I'm by myself. I don't have that interaction so much. I have interaction with my customers eventually, but it would be nice to be in a situation – where I can bounce off ideas and uh, I can say things like, hey, Lime, does this look like, you know, I should put the feed here or, you know, do you think this sort of works? And to get that sort of feedback while you're actually working yep. or, you know, um, even just uh, when you can sort of send photos off to people and get that feedback, that that's nice. I, I sort of really enjoy the interaction. So when I was working, I was doing a lot of networking and a lot of interacting with people – like mind Mm -hmm. and that I miss, you know, if I'm not there, I'm not talking to people, I'm sort of just in my own little space. Yeah. And you can become very blinkered, very insulated. Yeah. And very isolated, I suppose. But to that extent, you know, sometimes that's good too because Mm -hmm. then you're not getting influenced overly much by somebody else. You know, you might think, oh, geez, that looks pretty good. I should do that and then end up making a clone of something that somebody else is – which I don't want to do. I right. don't, you know. But um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to work out well as long as I can make enough money to feed myself. Um, then I think, yeah, it should it should sort of coast along nicely. Yeah.
0: Mm. So the the creative challenge is still still the valuable piece of it for you. Yeah. Yep. Seeing the finished pot, are you ever like, by that time, are you ever just kind of like, ah, it's I'm, that's great, it's done. I I really. At this point, I don't care so much anymore. Do you ever feel um, that way?
1: Only, only uh, if my vision and the pot vary a lot. Right. If the pot comes out of the kiln and it's a a real kicker, and I think, yeah, that glaze has worked really well, but then I'm I am super critical, so I'll look at it and think, geez, if I put another layer of glaze on, or if you know, I'd stop the glaze just before the feet, rather than glazing the feet mm, or whatever. Mm. And sometimes you 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 think this glaze look really good on that pot and when it comes out of the kiln, you think, oh, crap. Yeah. That looks awful, yeah. you know. Um, and then I go and I donate them to the bonsai club <laughs> as <laughs> raffle <laughs> prizes and somebody likes it, so. Hmm.
2: Well, the, the let go part works. is uh, creating something which is really beautiful. It's fantastic. It's a credit to her to what she does. But she has to let it go. I mean, it's being made to sell, mm-hmm. and once it's gone, it once once it's made, once it's sold, it's gone. But the payback then comes back when people send back photos of that pot with a tree planted. Yeah, looking yeah,
1: that's always a real buzz.
2: That's got kind of to be that really rewarding.
0: Back. I would yeah. think. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really strong point. Are there are there any pots that you have not been able to let go? No, like something just so.
1: There was one
0: astronomically special. There
1: was one in particular oh. that I really liked. The glaze came out just it was all white and gray and and um it was only a small like a little showhin pot but this glaze was just mind blowing and it was made as part of an order for for Boutique Bonsai, actually. So it went up there. I just had to bite my tongue and send it up there. But I would have liked to have sort of hung on to that one. And I thought, no, no. I Why? You know, I've only got like 10 trees or something. Uh-huh. I only ever wanted one tree. But now I seem to have 10. And all except one are in black plastic pots. <laughs> 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 but um, – i don't need to keep it even though it's a really nice pot and i like it i don't need it i don't need to keep it and i can always make another one i've never been able to make that glaze the same since
0: yes so so to some degree you can't always make another one
1: Mm. i'll get the revenge i'll work out what it was about that glaze but um, this is
0: why this is why the handmade container is so freaking awesome
1: they're all individual. You even if can't
0: I, yeah. get it again. You can't. You know, yeah. like you can get close.
1: Like That's what I say to people because they say to me, can you make me two of those? And I say, well, I can make you two that are similar. Mm-hmm. I can actually make two exactly the same size and shape, but one will be in a slightly different or hotter part of the kiln. Yeah, And so the glaze might be slightly shinier or I, I can use the same glaze and you might get a half a second longer dip or something so one will come out a slightly different shade yeah and even if i dip them at the same time one might have had a a slightly hotter bisque firing because it might have been on a different shelf in the kiln for the bisque firing so it might be less absorbent or more absorbent so
0: (sighs) it's too much Mm, It is too much when you get get right down to it Mm. see i would and that's i like how fastidious are you in taking notes and understanding all of those nuances to specific pieces?
1: I take notes about everything. I take photos of everything. Do you? Um, I'll know sort of the how fluid my glaze is and all that sort of stuff. Um, I will make notes on every pot. I'll make notes about what where it was on the shelf in the kiln, where the shelf was, what the kiln temperature was, all that sort of stuff. It still doesn't help. I Mm. mean, it means I can look back and say, well, that's what happened with this particular pot. But then if I go and get another bag of the same clay, it might have a different moisture content in it um, when I get it. Um, I might, even though the kiln is reading that it's, you know, the same temperature and all that sort of stuff, you might find that you've put it in a slightly slightly different place or even a few inches over or just you know half an inch back on the shelf and find that it does get a hot spot so then it's still slightly different so
0: and does the does the layout of the ceramics that the pieces are fired with also have an impact on
1: depends on how full the kiln is like uh-huh. if you've got a really full kiln um Things will the heat tends to go through the kiln, you know, because the the items next to each other tend to heat the one next to that sort of thing. So you get mm. a really even pack. If you've got less stuff in the kiln, the heat operates differently. So I I tend to um, use the the props that we put between the kiln shelves. If I've not got enough stuff in the kiln, I'll stuff them in and just heat them up because then they'll help transfer the heat through the uh, kiln a bit more, distribute it more, yeah, reg- regularly. yeah, but. Hmm. Um, the kilns never stack the same way. It's never got exactly the same amount of wear in it unless you were making exactly the same shapes like 300 beakers and then you put 300 beakers in the next firing and the only way they would fit is in a certain way. Yeah. You're never going to get exactly the same. You get close, but you'll never get exactly the mm. same kiln pack.
0: And are you firing electric or gas?
1: I fire electric mm-hmm. because there's just um, too many problems with having a gas kiln where I am. Yeah. Um, because I foolishly went and asked the council about it. And <laughs> And they said <laughs> nope. They're, you know, it's a matter of getting written permission from people on both sides yeah. of the fence and all this sort of stuff. And we're in a, a bushfire overlay zone, so um I would be reluctant to fire gas firings at certain times of the year anyway. We're not allowed to burn off, so it would be silly to then sort of start firing up the kiln. I know the kiln is a lot safer and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But I would still one stray spark and I could set half the, you know, outer east on fire. So yeah. I am very reluctant to do that. I would prefer to stick with the electric for now. If I can get myself to where I can have a gas kiln that is in a you know, a more enclosed, safer area, like right. you know, then maybe. But um, mm. at this stage, if I need gas firing done, I go and see a friend. Um Why I would you need gas firing for just reduction? For, for the reduction atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I've got um a contact who I can now hopefully get some wood-fired pots done. Oh <gasps>
3: wow. So you got, do you have some good wood kilns here.
1: We do have some good wood kilns, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um and I've um a lady who was my teacher yeah for my ceramics course. Has actually got access to um, a wood-fired kiln, so is
3: it she, pretty popular here? Or is it kind of? Eh? It's
1: popular, but it's also a fairly exclusive sort of thing because there yeah, are only so <laughs> yeah, so few wood kilns around. Um, and it's such a it's such a big thing to actually fire a wood kiln. It's yeah. not something you just do overnight. You can't just flick a switch and walk away. You know, mm. it's it's a real hands-on thing. It's a real skill and um, yeah, there's just not so many around, so. Yeah.
3: And once you got their little click, they don't want to let anyone in or out.
1: Oh, look, they're usually pretty good, but oh, really? um, I think once you've got a number of people who have been involved in a wood kiln, they've made it for their own use, you know. Yeah. They will invite people occasionally. You want to put something in the kiln, you've got to come and help fire it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and you might get a couple of people putting, you know, two or three things in, but generally they've made it for themselves, so they're going to, fill it as much as they can yeah so yeah
0: interesting very very interesting well it's been super awesome to sit down and talk to you guys today thanks for being willing to confront your fears (laughs) gary's been a smooth operator over there oh you you don't know the inner gary he's he's Oh, are you all not. tied up in knots too <laughs> <jelly> inside He's <laughs> shaking yeah. in his boots um, well I'm I know that uh, when we opened the box of pots that uh, came from you the whole team was there mm. we we sort of have our ritual around the opening of ceramic shipments at Mirai Yep. We've yep. Heard. and everybody was like, wow, we have not ever seen anything like this. Mm. You know, and they they have their own each ceramicist has their own special place in our workshop where their work is displayed. And uh your work definitely has an aesthetic that is completely unique to anything Mm. else that we have in there. That's good
1: to hear. That's good to hear. Um the one that I was worried about sending over to you was the big white bark one. Yeah. I thought that you know I'll be lucky if that one arrives.
0: That one that one got there. (laughs) Yeah, it's stunning the the rectangle the really rustic mm-hmm. rectangle it has almost like a goldish orange yep, hue yep. to it uh, I look at that pot every day mm. can't wait to start putting some trees in them and exploring what we can do with your work but I am really excited we got to talk to you guys and appreciate what you're doing. And uh and look forward to more of Morumbung's uh work coming. We, to we need
1: to we need to get you to be able to say
4: it properly.
2: Yeah. Morumbung? No, Marambung. Mar- 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 marum. Marum. Morumbung. Maramb. Marambung. Marambung. Get closer. rid of the accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's <better>? <laughs> closer. Marambung. No, you missed. Marambung. I'll say it. We got Marambung.
3: We got boots, not Marum trunks. Bung. Yep, <laughs> getting
2: glitched. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well done, well done.
0: Oh uh, well, we have a, a fa- I think we have a fairly action-packed day today, but um, we do. but um, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, you yes. bet. You bet.
4: Hmm.